Well, I'm excited today about uh, the sermon. Many, uh, I, I've already listened to two sermons today on the radio, and it's all about love. Uh, you know, that's not our problem here at CBC. Uh, we are fine. Uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> this may be a little colorful from the pulpit, but hey, we're adults, most of us anyway. Uh, we just had to do a remodel of the nursery, so it's in, it's in process. Uh, and uh, we wouldn't be doing that if we had a problem with people not loving on each other around here. So you know what I mean? So there's my Valentine's Day message to you. Uh, now you're all just completely tuned out. You know what? That was a warm-up. Because I just want to know that we can still be friends after this message. I am going to push you. This is not. going to be so much fun for me to watch the expressions, to see the neck pulling, to see the eyes. This one's my favorite. The complete tune-out. Right? Or, or, you know, people just look at lights or projectors or cobwebs on the ceiling. It's like, wow, those things are so much more fascinating. Today's sermon is titled, Tattoos, Beer, and Jesus. We are back in Colossians, and I'm very excited to be there. And just to share with you why, why are we using that title today, um, because it was much better than second century asceticism and the law. I figured not many people would understand that. But that's what we're talking about today. How many of you have ever received dental work? You know, poor dentists, right? Those people save us from so much pain, but they've got to give us pain to save us from pain. It's a dichotomy. And, and God bless those people that go into that field. But uh, yeah, I just recently had to get a crown and uh, split a tooth. And, uh, you know, I had that choice of, okay, you can get the temporary and come back in two weeks. And it was going to be a lot cheaper. Or you get like something that's permanent Right then, right there, they, they use like a 3D printer for this crown and all this stuff, right? And, and then it goes in, and she sold me on the fact that my teeth are just rotting to pieces, and, and I should probably just go for the permanent thing. But I remember going back and, you know, getting that temporary crown. And do you remember the litany of instructions you received? All the do nots, do not eat what? Nuts. Worms? Did somebody say worms? <laughs> Don't mumble, because it's going to get really bad advice around here. Nuts, popcorn. Um, I remember one time I was at the movies, I had a temporary, and I was eating red vines. Have you ever heard red vines crunch? I did. It was not pretty. Don't remember the movie whatsoever. Remembered the pain and the flavor of chemicals in my mouth. It's the red vines, not my crown. Um, but, you know, we get these crowns and, and you get a temporary in there and you have all these do not do this, do not do that. Do it. But it's good, right? You know, you, you get this thing. It looks like the same one you're going to get over here that's permanent. But how many of us would just keep the temporary? We'd say, hey, that's fine. You know. And why would we not keep the temporary? Because eventually it's going to fall off. Eventually it's going to break. Eventually, It's imperfect, and see, that's what I, I want you to grasp this morning that the text is taking us to. That it's talking about the law versus Christ. 
And then what was happening to the, the church at, at Colossae is that there are those that wanted to come in and start teaching them to start holding on to the law again. That Jesus is great. Salvation is great. All of that is great. But, you know, there were things about the law that just were part of our culture and those were good things. And it, it really kept things in order around here. It was tightly wrapped when we had the law. And not only that, when we had the law, we could control you. And so Paul speaks about this because it's tearing the church apart. So today that's where we find ourselves. So let's turn to Colossians 2, 16 through 23. By the way, we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Some I will read, some I will just put out there. Is there anybody who needs a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll have our ushers bring you one. Just raise your hand if you're fantastic. Everybody's got Bibles. <laughs> All right. Great. Y'all guys get a, uh, I heart you. Be my Valentine for that. Um, we're going to be in verses 16 through 23 this morning. Let's read. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This morning we have a lot to work through, and so I'm going to encourage you, if you can, please look at your scriptures and then look at the notes that are packed in there, and we're going to move through them very quickly. There's something I want to share with you real quickly to start us off with a thought. Internal consumed with the external. Internal consumed with the external. What, what do I mean by that? It's speaking to this problem. That what we have done in our faith, and the practice, and the outworking of religion, and boy, you're going to get this, because the world's constantly out there reminding us of this, that much of the time, what faith has become and how it presents itself is all about the external and meeting all the checkboxes of the externals. Let me give you this thought. Internal consumed with the external looks like this. Superficial people tend to be consumed by the superficial. You see, when you come across somebody who truly has God's precepts working in their life, they shine. When you see someone who's living by a set of rules, by a temporary situation, they live in a world of shadows and limitations. And you know, what's fascinating is they don't tend to shine. We're going to give some demonstrations in this this morning with our two, three illustrations. So remember this, because this is where we're starting. Internal consumed with the external, this is part of the challenge of, of what Paul's talking about. And 
this is surmised with this idea that superficial people tend to be consumed by the superficial. Let's get into it this morning. Well, external practices is what Paul is addressing. That what's happening within the church at Colossae is that there are new leaders that are coming in to power, and they're starting to focus on the law, these external practices. These things that, as a nation of Israel was coming into their own, coming out of Israel, God gave them the law. He gave it so that they would stand out, set apart from all the other cultures, all the other people, and would help them stay focused. That's why He gave them the law. And we'll talk about the the power and the disadvantage of the law momentarily, but I just want you to remember that temporary crown. It serves a purpose, doesn't it? It serves a purpose, but it's not yet perfect. So new leadership comes in or or outside leadership comes in, and they want to start focusing on the law. They want to start laying out things about you don't need to touch this, you shouldn't handle that, you shouldn't say, and, and all pertaining to what? To things that were in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's God's Word. How does it not apply? Folks, this is tricky stuff. This is challenging stuff. And so you can see why it was coming along, but the underlying current here is that the law gave people opportunity to have power over people. Where is our power? Is it in human hands or is it in the Lord's hands? It's in the Lord's hands. It's in the Lord's hands. So why would we surrender that authority to a flawed crown? Makes no sense. And yet because of tradition, because of human teachings and human precepts, it kind of sounds good. It looks right. And so we'll follow that. And we're going to use some illustrations today to see why do we think the way we think and where do we go with that? So here's some of the areas that Paul mentions in this passage, primarily verses 16 and 17. He talks about the law. He talks about asceticism. Now what is asceticism? Asceticism is the, the profound focus and discipline to remove yourself from worldly influence. Not because necessarily by being in that worldly influence you would be... Um, sinning, but because you possibly could be perceived as sinning. And so the more you put it into an external presentation of your holiness, the more spiritual you seem to be. Many of you know the the song Amazing Grace, don't you? I used to have a six-volume set of the works of John Newton, John Newton being the individual who wrote Amazing Grace. He was a wretched man by his own testimony. He was a slave trader, but that wasn't the worst. And and getting into his story is fascinating. And he struggled and struggled and struggled. There was a time where he practiced this asceticism. And he was on a ship. He was a, a, a ship hand. And he had come under conviction of what it means to be a Christian. But he came under human tradition and human precept, and human teaching. And so his valuation of what it meant for him to be a Christian, as he was struggling to figure all this out, was to never speak. Because if he were to speak, he could possibly sin. This is the picture of asceticism. You got it? 
that the law says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, because it could lead into sin. Or it will lead into sin, or you will actually be sinning. And so what should we do? We should set up all these barriers so that, so that we're what? So that we're free from sin. Here's the fascinating thing that, that we find out in Scripture and through the freedom of Christ, my friends, and, and bank this. That when we're focused on the do-nots, there's no freedom. There's no joy. There is just an acquiescence and a struggle to not do. And where is your focus? It's on the things that you should not do. But the warrior, the runner, the athlete who wins the prize is the one whose eyes are focused on the end. It's focused on the prize, Paul says. And when we run effectively, we run because we're focused on the prize. Not on all the rules, not on the particulars going on around us, but on the prize. Some of you saw the video of the sprinter, I think it was a 400 meter. Um, Their arrogance overtook them. And he was going to get a world record. And he was going to win this race. And he threw up his arms about 10 feet from the finish line. And he just kind of looked around <laughs> to the stands for his glory. And what he didn't notice is the guy from, uh, I don't know, Wisconsin State just went right by him. Took first place and he didn't get the world record. One of the most humiliating things Ever. Because he started focusing on the wrong things. You see, this is what Paul's talking about with the law and asceticism. Festivals. You know, when you look through the Old Testament, uh, everything was a festival. Pentecost was a festival. It was a festival that, that had to do with the celebration of God's gift and God's work for His people. And on and on and on, there were festivals. Purim and, and, and so many others. Passover was a festival. And so there were so many rules about when you had to do these Right? And, and how you had to do these. And you couldn't break those festival things or the, the issue of cleanliness, uncleanliness. On and on. And so, uh, food and drink. What to touch, what not to touch. Misguided spiritual practices and arrogance. And let's look at some things that we want to we wanna expose with this. As we see what Paul is saying, he talks about something that, that I like to call the shine test. The language of the Pharisees. And, and I, I like to call it the... Uh, the L O, you know, L O T P. The the language of the Pharisees, and it is that language, is that voice that wants to control and wants to lean back on rules and regulations, but there's no joy in it. There's a shine that's missing, and you'll hear from some testimony that I went out onto the the famous internet to get some information. You'll hear the tone, the tonal quality. And what I encourage you to do is in this struggle of focusing on, on the shadow or the substance, as Paul puts it in our passage, I encourage you to look at the shine test. Is there a joy? Is there a message of love? Is there a message of healing? Is there a message of peace? Or is there one of guilt, accusation? Because that's how Satan works. That's how Satan works, and that's how the Pharisees worked. And that's why Christ, with his tone with the Pharisees, was so harsh. Somebody once was talking about the how do you get to Christ, and, and Christ is in many things, and, and they were kind of garnering a, an ecumenical approach to things. And 
I said, well, how do you explain John 12? And uh, he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, Christ is saying who He is and the Pharisees discount Him, marginalize Him, um, insult Him, um, are, are incredibly uh, vicious towards Him. And what does He say to them? When He challenges these Pharisees on the issue of His divinity, He says, you are of your father, Satan. Those are harsh words. Those are hard, harsh words. But this is how much Jesus was disgusted by this approach of control and shadows and holding on to the shadows. The shine test. Let's look at James. You can turn there if you will. James 13. And I'm going to give you an understanding of when we wrestle with what you're being taught, all right, this is really what Paul's talking about for you today. As you're being taught in a situation like this or through different spiritual uh, uh, books that you might be reading or as you're looking at Scripture and you're trying to understand Christ more, be careful about those that would take human precepts and concepts and principles and try to say that this is how God wants you to operate this is how the relationship with christ looks when it gets outside what god has determined what god has said is good and right and acceptable and what his will is through his son jesus christ when you start to deviate from that and you start to just bring in a little extra sauce but then suddenly that becomes the preemptive thought now we're in trouble now we're in trouble And it's fascinating how selfish ambition plays into this. Arrogance and selfish ambition. Listen carefully. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That last verse is so paramount to understanding how should we then live? When you're in a group of people, when you're in a church, when you're in a study, when you're with Christians, if, if you're not seeing this harvest of peace, but there's conflicts, folks, that doesn't pass the smell test. Somehow, somewhere, there has been selfish ambition, there has been arrogance, this is, has come in and started to turn the attitude, the culture, the spirit of the people within that group. And that's what Paul is warning against to his brothers and sisters in Colossae. Let's move on. Question, does it pass the 3D test? Legalism kills spirituality. What am I talking about? Well, go back and look at what Paul says. I'll back it up to verse 20, but the key verse is 21. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, what does that mean? That means the approaches of what what the enemy wants to do, what Satan wants to do, what the temptations of the world wants to do, what sin wants to do. Or, 
human authority that is not in harmony with God's will. Okay? He says, if with Christ you died to that, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you keep submitting to it? Things like what? Here's your 3D test. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. How many of you grew up in a church like that? My backyard cannot, I just saw this, I just recognized this like two months ago. That we rent a house just a couple blocks over and there's a pool in the backyard. And my wife took an old dining room table of ours that we manufactured out of an old entertainment center of ours. And we just keep repurposing things. She's great with that. Once I die, she'll repurpose me somehow. I don't know how that'll happen, but... So on the fence, she's taking those boards, and in a very creative way, she wrote, no running. Then the next board says, um, no, what, what is it? No splashing. And then the last one is, no whining. And I kind of feel like we should put another one. No fun. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but I'm looking at that, I'm like, I don't know if I want to swim in that pool. But, you know, when you've got small kids, you've got to put up you got to put up some guidance, right? You know, guidance isn't bad. That's not what we're saying. But when it deviates from what God has for you, then it's destructive. When it has a personal agenda by those who are arrogant and have selfish ambition and want to control you, then it's of who? According to the Scriptures. It's of Satan. It's of Satan. So, remember the 3D test. And ask yourself, are you more about that? Is your church more about that? Or is it more about the freedom? So let's look. The demands of the law were canceled by the liberty in Christ. Here's the caveat. Turn back to Colossians 2, if you will. Here's where we have to... Because when we started this morning, what were the words? Therefore. Therefore. And when you see a therefore, you've got to know why it's... Therefore, right? All you church people, you're so good at that stuff. Right? And so when you see it, therefore, it has to do with what was before. So let's look at what was before. Because here Paul is is railing, right? He's railing on why did you submit to these earthly authorities rather than Christ? So we need some clarification, don't we? Because this gets really confusing. Are you you saying, Pastor Jeremy, that the Old Testament is no longer good? No. Is Paul saying that the Old Testament is no... No. No. So we we have to fix this a little bit. Let's look at how Paul fixed it. So we've got to go back. It says, verse, starting verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made what? Alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Let me say this again. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Since Gary brought it up, fine, let's talk about it. It's not in the notes, but what, a, what a, a spiritual moment we have here. Now, you may be visiting today and you're saying, what kind of church is this? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Hopefully it's a God-infused one. But yes, your pastor was on the lamb for the better part of six months 
this year because he's such a fugitive. He's so dangerous to society. And uh, at our last men's retreat, um, I have many witnesses in the room, I bought my fishing license. And it was in my bag, and it was in the back of the car with all of my stuff. And somehow that bag got removed and taken in in retreats like, you know, things happen. Got out the next morning, was scouting some fishing spots for the guys. And I, I, I know that lake like the back of my hand, so I went to my spot, caught three fish in five minutes, and said, oh, yeah, that's great. Right as Gary and Scott are walking up, here comes the warden. I have fished for 28 years, never seen a warden in my life. Now, the new regulations are you don't actually have to have your license on you. It just needs to be in the vicinity. And so when I got out, I thought, oh, yeah, I've never used that before. I can just, it's in, it's in the car. I'm cool. Cool. I actually even thought about it. Got out, this guy walks up to me, we're having a conversation, and I'm not even sweating because I'm like, I know who you are. I've heard about all these conversations, and I'm in the clear because my license is right there. So then he says, now that these other guys are here to witness the whole uh, takedown by the law on your pastor, uh, I go and I'm going through the car, and I just keep going through the car, and, and I'm panicking, and the bag is not there. The bag had been removed, and it's up in the cabin, and so I received a ticket. And so making this story very short, I found myself standing before one of the finer judges in the county of Tulare, there in the Fresno Courthouse, on December 31st of this past 2015, which is a year that I choose to forget. And when I explained the whole thing and showed my fishing license to the judge, He said, well, this seems pretty ridiculous. And I was about to give a big amen. And and yet, here's the deal. Here's the deal. What did I just just, uh, share with you? What did Paul just say? He's talking about the legal record of debt that stood... I had a record of debt standing against me that I could not ignore. Whether it was right or wrong, I could not ignore it. And as I went and tried to take care of it, I didn't get there on time, and they have their rules. See, I'm so anti-law right now. (laughs) They had their rules, and I had no idea I had to be there at 8.30 versus 9.30 for a a three-and-a-half-hour trip. And so because of that, I end up with a warrant out on me. A warrant. I'm so dangerous. (laughs) My life group had so much fun teasing me for four months. I didn't really want to pay the ticket, but just to get them off my back, I, I, I went to Fresno the second time. Amen. <laughs> so the judge says, dismissed. And for the first time in my life, I said, I love Fresno. <laughs> but listen, this is what Paul's talking about, is that we have this record of debt. And that's what the law does. You see, the law was given to the nation of Israel because they were in Egypt. They had been saturated with those false gods, right? That culture. And God's now pulling them out of there, and he starts to set up all these rules and regulations to get them weaned off of all this stuff that is antithetical to him. Do you understand? How do you, have you ever been in that position where you said, I didn't know the speed limit was 25? Are you guilty or not guilty? you're still guilty. But how unfair if they never post a sign, right? Do you understand that's what the law does? That's why the law was given, was to help people understand what God's holy and righteous standard is. What happened? Paul says, 
Christ nailed it to the what? It's done. You just got your permanent. It's done. Now, how many of you are ripping your permanent crowns out and asking for a temporary? Do you understand that's what Paul's saying? What are you doing? Yes, it serves a purpose. But you have something so much greater. Do you get this? Do you get the beauty of this? Let's move quickly because I know you want to know about tattoos and beer. Uh, Matthew 12, 6 through 8. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, folks. This is where the Pharisees get on Jesus about not keeping the Sabbath. Uh oh. Do you know not keeping the Sabbath was a capital offense according to the law? Do you know your children could be stoned to death for not keeping the Sabbath? That's how serious God was about it. And what did Jesus do? And what did the Pharisees immediately those boys of joy went right after Christ we got him we got him I mean he didn't go for some low-level simple thing you know he wasn't eating bacon on the side thank you a few of you a few of you right because you know there is a struggle there there's a moral versus stomach struggle we could maybe turn a blind eye because it's bacon No, we got him on Sabbath. Read that passage and see what Jesus says about the keeping of the Sabbath. And this is before the cross. You see, Jesus trumps the law. And he says, why do you keep submitting to the shadows? Here's the funny thing about shadows. When I used to play paintball way back in the day, that was all for my son. A lot of pain. But here was a great moment where I heard somebody coming. I'm hiding behind something. But it was when I saw their shadow, I knew that they were close. That's how the law works, according to what Paul's saying here in the Scripture. A shadow of what? A shadow of Christ. See, when Christ finally came, there's no need for the shadow. You've got the real thing. You've got the real thing. So stop settling for the shadow. Paul's making his point very well. Let's go to the second today. Internal practices. Godly precepts and teachings versus human precepts and teaching. Right? Unity and growth is what Christ is about. Let's look at verse 19, shall we? He says, and not holding fast to the head, the head being Christ. And and you can look at some more thoughts on that uh, from, say, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together throughout its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Is that not beautiful living language? As opposed to do not touch, do not handle, do not look. You see, that's what the law wants to do. And that's the language of the Pharisees. But when you see someone growing, when you see that light turned on, when you see change and it brings about peace and joy, what we're talking about from the book of James, there's something transformational. And it's beautiful, is it not? And so how many of us would submit ourselves to the shadows, to the temporary? And Paul's so frustrated for them. He says, Christ is the head. Christ brings liberty. Look at substance versus shadow. Verse 17, I've already predicated this, but let's look at what he, what he uses as the actual wording. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the best way I can explain this struggle for you. Is that the law was good and it was effective in its time. And by the way, the Ten Commandments are still applicable. They still work. Why? Because every single one of those commandments is quoted by Christ as a positive thing. He never counteracted any of those. But some of these torts and some of these other laws and the laws that the Pharisees made up in the intertestamental period, right? How, long, how far you can walk, you know, and, and you can't eat this or you can't eat that and, and what you have to wear. And, you know, a lot of that was part of the Levitical law. And we'll look at that in a minute. But so much of what they were talking about with the law had nothing to do with God's instruction. It was a shadow. It was weak. It was temporary. It served a purpose. But now we have Christ. We have Christ. So let's follow Him. And let's look at that. Faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6-9. I'm going to have us look here because here is the challenge. Is that a lot of us, and I am one of those, we are wired for lists. Just give me the things of what to do. Let me follow those so I know that I'm doing it right. And don't give me this esoteric freedom thing, right? That's too hard on me. On top of that is we're in a church and we see people uh, or or the pastor or or the elders just espousing a sense of uh, peace, love, Jesus, and granola. Everybody's fine. You know, we'll never talk about sin here. Folks, that's that's not, hopefully you don't hear that's what we're doing here. It is Christ, not the law, that convicts about our righteousness and unrighteous acts. Amen? We don't need the law anymore. It is Christ and it is through the Holy Spirit, through a personal relationship, that He guides us towards His righteousness. Galatians 5, 6-9 says this, Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Sorry, I'm looking at something else. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Do you hear the contrast? Circumcision, uncircumcision, that whole law debate, you know, the external. And then he instantly flips it on its head about the internal through Christ. And he says, but only faith working through love. Those are life-infusing words. And then he says this, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The persuasion is not from him who calls you. That's exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? That our persuasion on how we should choose to live coming from external situations or our concern about the external leads us towards death and subjugation. And he's saying, why did you do that? You were running great. Who stepped in? Who started telling you this stuff? Because it's killing you spiritually. But then he says this, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven, <clears throat> a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That is harsh terminology. But listen to this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. That's a takeaway verse today, right there. A majority of the message is encapsulated about how we should live and not live in righteousness or unrighteousness. How do we do this practically? It's right there in those words. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Let's move on into the real stuff. I know you wanted to get to it, so let's talk about tattoos, shall we? You can turn to Leviticus 9 with me if you so choose. It's thrilling. I'm sorry, 19. It's thrilling stuff. Uh, This is good uh, bedtime reading material. (laughs) Those who chuckle know what I mean. So this is the only verse that you see anything about tattoos in all of Scripture. And this is where I get to watch you guys have either just smiles of joy or piercing arrows of flame coming out of your eyeballs towards me. Well, here's the deal. I'm too chicken to, to, uh, to stand up here on my authority, so I'm just going to let you deal with the Scripture. All right? Verse 28, it's very simple. It says this, You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Case closed. Boom. There we go. Done. Let's move on to beer. All you good Lutherans, that's like a very familiar statement. That one didn't work, did it? Okay, you have to study Lutheran doctrine and, and uh, Mr. Luther to understand that. 1928, this idea of tattoos is paired. Now, remember, this is our illustration. We're just going to figure out what we just studied, what Paul just said. Let's see how this works, okay? Let's see what the church has done with all this. That's why I picked tattoos and beer. So this is paired with cutting the body. So it says, let me read it again. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I'm the Lord. So God is against cutting your body. By the way, the word tattoo here in the Hebrew, it really is more towards, and you may have seen this in certain situations where tattoos are made through puncturing the skin. It's not necessarily just ink. It's just a a raised mark that happens because of the puncturing of the skin the way that they do it, and it leaves a mark. Um, That was a very popular thing in Egypt, where they had come from. So God is against cutting the body. Is that correct? So many of you, you're not going to answer me because you're like, where is he going? And I'm going to be trapped and you're recording this, and then I'm going to, it's all going to be run up in my membership. Okay. What is it that was the sign for God's people? What was the external sign that God invoked through the law for God's people? Circumcision. So God is against cutting of the, bi- of the body, correct? Apparently he's not. So now we have some confusion here. By the way, that is a vicious cut. All right? So I don't, I, I don't want to hear about all the differences, and this is kind of minimalistic, and this is, you know, this is a mark, and it's there to identify externally the covenant of identifying with God. And he commands it. So he's obviously not against cutting the body. Now, I want to be very clear, because there may be those in this room that deal with cutting. That is absolutely of Satan. Because everything that I've learned about that has to deal with your state of mind. 
and the enemy playing with your mind. John 10 works into this. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to what? Destroy. I've never met a person that cut their body because they felt great about who they are. Never. So, I just throw out some caveats because as I get into this stuff, I have to be careful. So we know that Christ isn't against, or God isn't against cutting the body, so what is this scripture actually saying? We'll look at it in its totality. You can't just take bits and pieces. It says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves, I am the Lord. I'm going to give you a little breakdown in, in languages. That the way that Hebrew is written is almost poetic. It's not English. It's not... Um, it just, as a matter of fact, trying to transliterate it into English is very difficult because you lose some meaning. You can get the exact sense and tense of the words, but you lose the poetic sense of the meaning. And almost all Hebrew writing has a form and function. That as you have a phrase, as we see in English, transliterated, it's connective. From the point where it starts, the beginning of the sentence, to the end and sometimes it's run in parallel so there's pericopes there's sticks there's all this stuff and the way for you to really kind of relate to it is think about psalms and think about how it flows or think about the proverbs and think about how they flow is that there would be a question posed and the second part of the verse the question is answered and then there's a question posed and see there's a stylistic right so what you have to do here is so many people have gone into just the etymology the understanding of the exact grammar of the word they lose track of the form of the sentence You can't break this up. So, really the concept here, and historically, whether you're looking at Walvoord, whether you're looking at Brown and Fawcett, whether you're looking at other commentators and biblical scholars. By the way, you can find plenty that say that this says what it says, and I'll read it to you in a second. This says what it says, and there's no getting around it. God said, thou shalt not have a tattoo. And then they get this Lord, or or language of the Pharisees as as they recite it. You know, the fascinating thing is, is just even multiple of these gentlemen that are great biblical scholars, they reiterated what I already told you without me reading their stuff first, that what God is doing here is in context to the culture they just came out of. That in Egypt, they would mark themselves for the dead, they would cut themselves for the dead, and they would leave permanent marks on their body for the dead. That was their culture. And so why do you have one of the main reasons most, most biblical scholars believe you have the instruction, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not make any graven image? Have you ever thought about that? Why does God care if you try to set up a picture of him? By the way, we do it all the time, right, with these false pictures of Jesus. So why would he, that just doesn't make a lot of sense in my book, and I, I, I study it deeper. It's because coming out of the culture they came out of, it was all about the images. It was all about serving the images, all the statues. And it became about worshiping those things. Romans 1 talks about it. It became about worshiping those things rather than God himself. And so he says, and, and, and by the way, they proved themselves, right? Because they didn't get too far out of Egypt. And what do they do? They make a golden calf. That's why you have, don't make any graven images. He knows them. That's one of the reasons you have this instruction here. Now let's move on. Separation of Israel with the surrounding cultic practices. I just, I hit that point. Don't condemn the guiltless. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the passage I was talking about. And his words were actually, as the Pharisees attacked the, what? 
the uh, disciples, what does he say about them? Because they're walking through a field and they're grabbing grains of wheat and they're eating them. And he says, when attacked, when the Pharisees attacked David, I mean, sorry, attacked his, his disciples, he says, do you not remember when David and his men were hungry and they entered into the table or temple and they ate the bread that was sacred? The law says nobody shall eat of that other than those who are the, the priests. And David broke the law, but yet God is saying, Jesus is saying, David was justified in what he was doing. And so he says about his disciples, who are breaking the rules of the Sabbath, they are what? They're guiltless. They're guiltless. So you've got a problem here that you have some very clear instruction in the law that Jesus has now just said, no, that's not a problem. So, number one, when we talk about tattoos, are we tattooing for the dead? Because that's what it's talking about. Number two, this is the only scripture in the entire Bible that speaks about tattoos, and we hold on to it like it's sacrosanct. I don't even know what that word was that I just said. <laughs> Let me take you into something real quickly, and then we'll close. I'm going to two-part on this, all right? Because you don't want to miss beer and Jesus. So come back next week. Um, so I went to the internet to see how people feel about this. Uh-oh. Uh-oh is right. And let me read this to you. I, I just did a Google search on tattoos in the Bible. That's it. So I go to this, this one of the first hits, and it is Pastors Bud and Betty Miller on tattoos. All right. And they list, um, you know, they list Leviticus. And then I underline this. It says, when it speaks here about doing this in relation to the dead, this was a witchcraft rite uh, done to mourn or remember their dead. Therefore, tattooing, cutting one's body or shaving one's head in defiance, have their origin in witchcraft practices. Tattoos have their roots in witchcraft. Many young people today are doing these very things because of some evil witchcraft influences in their lives and they are unaware, that they are unaware of. They do not realize that partaking of these can open the door to wrong and defiling influences in their lives. Evil videos, depraved rock music albums, wicked internet games, and violent movies are displaying evil trends in order to destroy our youth. Satanic tattoos, skinheads, and other cultic rites are opening many of our children to demonization. There's two things I want to ask you on this comment. Number one, does this sound like the language of the Pharisees? Or does it sound like someone who's shining? Second question, are they right? Yes and no. Absolutely they could be. Absolutely they could be. There are instances, I mean, if we're going to say that, that Satan's not involved all around us in influencing us, then we're fools. But Satan involves himself on a lot of different levels. Right? But my question is, what do you hear in this tone? Again, 
Let me read a few, few paragraphs down. Some people object to using Old Testament Scripture as a reference to tattoos since the New Testament doesn't speak of these things. However, in the New Testament, we are even called to a higher law. I agree with that. That's fantastic. We are to have God's laws written on our hearts. When we remain close to the Lord and obey Him, He can direct us in things that are not good for us. Boy, she's, or he's preaching it. For example, although the Bible does not say, Thou shalt not smoke... Or drug addiction is bad for you, we know that these things are destructive to the human body. In the New Testament, we are told to glorify God in our bodies. This would include not marring our bodies with tattoos, as the principles in the Bible clearly tell us it is wrong to defile our bodies. Now, let me take you back. You'll notice I'm not commenting on that. Let me take us back because one of the rules about Scripture is context. And we'll close with this today. So let's look at this passage in 19. Alright? Because this isn't the only law. And let me just put this up so you can think about this. Jesus nor God the Father ever asks us to mark our bodies. That's something to wrestle with. Right? God has not told us to do this. So let's consider that. No longer a cultural viewing of rebellion by most. It was so fascinating. Over Christmas break, I went and visited one of my students, um, former students, and he was giving a tattoo to someone in my family. I'll let that person reveal who they are. Um, And it's not my wife. And and so we we, we got a little bit into this discussion and I, I put up a picture of me and Tony. I was really excited. I just said, you know, I'm visiting Tony because somebody's getting it. So many people here thought I was getting a tattoo. It was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. So that spawned me to say, hmm, that's an interesting subject. So I kind of put out there, well, do you think that if a pastor got a tattoo, that it would give him of, of and I put up a picture of a tattoo with Christ. And I said, do you think it would give him more influence today? Or do you think it would hinder his ability to minister effectively. What do you think the response was? So let, let's see how brave you are. You have complete freedom in Christ. Nobody here is allowed to be smirched. And, oh, you guys are like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not asking you to get a tattoo, but let's see. How many of you would say that if your pastor got a tattoo, that would be a distra- Let me make it very easy. A distraction for you. Raise your hand. One, two, three, four. Come on. Five, six. Come on. Come on. Seven. Yes. Quit looking around. Just look at me so people feel free to raise their hands. <laughs> okay. How many of you would say it would not be a distraction? Raise your hands. Okay. Now, I'm... I have no idea if I'm getting a tattoo. I'm really not all that interested in it, okay? I'm just using it as an illustration. But I did that to prove a point. Years ago, it would have been vastly different. So a little bit of what's being stated here is challenge. Now, the the, the reality is we have one verse that says what? Thou shalt not make marks for the dead on your body or a tattoo. And I believe that the history tells us in the context of why Christ wrote these things has to do with what the Israelites came out of, their behavior as they came out of it, proves that. But then the rest of Scripture is completely silent on this issue. 
So the reality is we have to wrestle with this is a biblical concept. It is the law. Are we still under this? You ready? When you come, by the way, this is in the same chapter. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. I want to know, all the people who struggle with this issue of tattoo, do you check your fruit to see if that tree was five years dormant before you got the fruit off of it? Next, because God's not done. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. Oh, you rare steak people. You've got some problems. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Yes, that's good. Let's not do that. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You know, the people that are anti-tattoo, they really get angry when you mention this verse. That again, those who are against tattoos, are you saying that we shouldn't get haircuts as men? Because that's what it's saying. And why? Because they didn't want to look like those who cut their hair in a certain pattern as an act of worship to pagan gods. Do you see the pattern? There was a reason God gave these instructions to this people. They had not the perfect yet. They had not the substance yet. They had the shadow and the temporary. It gets better. Let me see if I can find something that applies to this because those things, uh, it just doesn't work. Um, oh, hey, verse 30. Are you catching my sarcastic tone yet? You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. We have a problem. Matthew 12. You see how the Pharisees went right after Jesus. And what did Jesus say? By the way, keep your Sabbath. It's It's rife. There's got to be 30 to 35 references of this over and over and over. Versus tattoos, we got one. And Jesus broke the Sabbath. There's liberty in Jesus when it comes to living in a righteous life. Uh, There's a couple other things here that that are actually kind of fascinating. By the way, you're not supposed to mix your cloth. So for those of us that have a 50-50 blend in in your shirts or your pants, um, if you're going 100% wool, cool. You can say no tattoos, because that's all right here. Bottom line, when you get into interpretation of Scripture, you want to be right, and you want to have an audience, and you want to have credibility, guess what? And I'm going to get real forceful here. You better be consistent. Because the stuff that I read to you was laughable. And it was all from human tradition. They were taught that in churches, and they were taught to hate people and see them as evil if they had a tattoo. And that is an egregious crime. And that's not part of this church. There's life in Christ. Let me finish it by, because boy, are you going to want to hear the stuff on beer next week. (laughs) Can you say it without ink? Listen, you've heard me talk about this in the past. Can you say it without the ink? Because people who are focused on the external, boy, I want to be able to put something cool, like a a Bible. Why don't you just live it? Why doesn't the life of Christ pour out of you? Because I'll tell you what, you'll be much more influential if what you want to put on your skin is lived out day in, day out. Right? The internal 
changing the external. Now, it certainly sounds like I just went anti-tattoo, right? No. If you have all your stuff together, and you're still under that conviction, we'll get to these verses next week, if you're still under that conviction that, that the Spirit of God is laying it upon your heart that there is purpose and reason for righteousness and for yourself, then that's something you need to pray about between you and God. But you are certainly, and this I will stand on, you are certainly not under the law because Paul said so, because Christ said so. You want to hang on to your temporary, fine. But I don't think you really do. I've not met anybody that does. Go with substance, not shadow. Let me close in prayer. Father, today the Scripture took us to a place that is so vitally important. It is an area that we struggle so desperately in. We've been trained by others to think this way. We have these elemental spirits. We have these human traditions and human precepts. Father, help us to be able to separate those out and live righteously to please an audience of one, the one who matters. But let us not create any stumbling block and let us not use our liberty, use our freedom as an excuse for selfishness. Instead, Father, let us be about pleasing You. Lord God, use our offerings today. Use our gifts Multiply them for your use. And let the Word of God, not what I say, not what anybody says, but let the Word of God change our hearts today and be encouraged. There is life and liberty through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.